lot of edging going on. What you gonna bring to the table tonight? Don't you need everybody to move? Cause the rest just feel what? You hear them? We ain't apologizing for nothing today. Don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? Don't take care of y'all mental. Welcome into the Fantasy Flexecution Podcast. I am your host, Brett Pelashotti. With me now and always is my boy, Kyle Settle. What's up, man? It's been too long. Oh, there, there <laughs> it goes. It's because the mic's off. All right. Hey, what's up, man? Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, another, another week I missed. Totally on me. Uh, got the old... COVID-19. I guess it's the COVID-21 now. I got it. Yeah. But uh, back to normal here in my house. So Feeling good? Yeah. Feeling, feeling refreshed? Good, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, couldn't smell or taste anything for a little while. So I but uh, like that. I'm so happy that went away because I heard some people have that for like months. And oh, yeah. dude, I didn't realize how annoying that would be. Oh, sure. But hey, now you're terrible. back. You're refreshed. You're past the bye. I mean, we had the late season by. We knew it was going to hit us at some point, but it was much needed. But now we're back, ready to go, better than ever. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of better than ever, you got the buy in our league of record. <laughs> you barely squeaked by me in order to get the buy. And uh, you know what? It was. How uh, you feeling? It was almost poetic, though, because one of the biggest buys that I put on this show. Speaking of buys, back in like week two was George Kittle. And yeah, I'm feeling that right now because I rode that man of all that is man. You heard me right. I rode that man <laughs> right to a first round bye. Gotta love it. Yeah, I put an interesting stat in the recap about how Ooh, insanely dominant he's been uh, over the past two weeks specifically. But yeah, it looks like it's finally paying off for you. Uh, other than Deshaun Watson, but... Oh uh, yeah, part of that deal. But yeah, we'll get well, re- we'll get into the rest of the buys and sells near the end of this episode. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Let's move on to the news and the notes. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Check it out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. Breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. All right, so speaking of COVID, I got it as well as a bunch of football players. We have 37 so far that have tested positive on Monday alone. So what can we do for fantasy, right? It's been the same story all year long. We don't know until we know. We need right. to stay fluid. We need to have a backup plan and hope for the, the best plan for the worst. So if you have a guy that is a linchpin on your team, he is a, a guy that you're counting on going into round one of the playoffs or getting ready for round two if you have a bye, you need to have a backup plan. Uh, obviously, people are testing positive. This isn't just going to stop because it's the fantasy playoffs. We need to be ready to pivot. And uh, I think that's the best and most sound advice you'll hear anywhere. 
Yeah, it's not only is it not going to get any better, it's probably going to get worse. It's just the nature of the season that when we get into these cold temperatures and the, the I mean, virus, I'm, I don't know a ton about it, but viruses seem to thrive in cold temperature. There's a reason they call it flu season, another virus that makes its way around when the temperature drops. So we're going to see more and more of this throughout the rest of the fantasy season and throughout your playoffs. Hopefully this doesn't determine any matchups for you. And I think for how you manage it as a fantasy owner it's a lot easier in redraft i think because there's options on the waiver wire for you to go out and get your handcuffs to these guys which i think is the best strategy to be down a player who steps into their spot we saw just this last week minus adam thielen kj osborne's a smash we saw with uh the la chargers down keenan allen uh Guyton's a smash. So just find that person, if you can, on your waiver wire who's going to have a fantasy impact if you have a player go down. Unfortunately, in Dynasty, with these obviously much larger benches, you got much more slim pickings on the waiver wire. But maybe like with an Austin Eckler who just went down this past week that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, maybe there's a Justin Jackson floating out there, some managers giving up. Not, not someone who can step in and be that player, but someone who can fill that hole in your lineup should the unfortunate happen to your team. Yeah, and just uh, pray for good luck because that's what it's going to take. Absolutely, I think, more than to ever. get through. All right, man. I uh, I'm just going to toss to you this Urban Meyer stuff, yeah. man. Teach me a lesson. Uh, what is going oh, on? It's out. Of, it's terrible. It's I've seen incompetent coaching, but never paired with just the losing of a coaching staff and a locker room and a, an entire fan base the way it's happened with Urban Meyer. Because we see college coaches come up to the NFL all the time, and it's a different game and they're not prepared for it or they just can't handle it it's they're playing the same sport on the turf but everything else is different when you talk about the transition from the college to the pro level I saw a hilarious joke I'm sorry I can't give it credit but uh yeah Urban Meyer it's a lot harder whenever the opposing teams are playing paying their players too so sorry about that (laughs) but the list of nonsense that we've had to put up with since the Urban Meyer hire it is a laundry list dating back to the preseason bringing in Tim Tebow to play tight end because he was literally your old college buddy. That was a massive joke. Uh, the Iowa strength coach that he hired, Chris Doyle, who had the history of racist behavior, and Urban Meyer just turned a blind eye to it until everyone else said, hey, you got to cut that shit out. Get him out of here. He's gone. The COVID vaccination comments. Remember when roster cutdowns were a thing, people were talking about, is vaccination status going to play a factor? And Urban Meyer just said, yeah. Yeah, you can't say that. You can't do that. That's like HR 101. (laughs) 100%. Talk about a guy who's just been living above the law his entire life, doesn't understand what it's like when you're actually held accountable. Obviously, everything that happened in the Ohio bar, I think it was the Urban Meyer bar, one of the handful he has out there in Ohio, the adultery that's clearly happening behind camera, in front of the camera, the fact that he did not fly back with the team after a loss that week so that he could go do some hanky-panky with some college girl. That's a complete joke calling multiple coach members of his coaching staff losers what a way to alienate your staff to call them losers. i know why i'm here i'm a f-ing winner get the hell out of here you're two and eleven multiple assistant coaches have quit on him this season players are coming out left and right saying i can't deal with this guy you got veterans like marvin jones one of the nfl's premier veterans and a leader on that team having to be forced 
back onto the practice field because Urban Meyer is making him want to walk away from the game. The consistent head-scratching coaching calls that are happening on game day, benching the team's best offensive player in James Robinson and then ignoring it, playing ignorant whenever you're challenged on it by the media. Just completely baffling. You are 2-11 and and your most recent accomplishment was a shutout loss to the Tennessee rival Titans. You are 28th in the league in passing yards, 32nd in passing touchdown, 23rd in rushing yards, and 20th in rushing touchdowns in the NFL from a head coach who was supposed to be an offensive guru. I don't know how much more we can add to this. While it's unconfirmed, he's believed to be making somewhere in the ballpark around 10 to $12 million per year over the next six years. And that, unfortunately, leaves the door open to his return. He's got such a massive salary over the next six years, five and change, whatever you want to call it. It's going to be so difficult if you're Shad Khan and the, the Jacksonville Jaguars owner to just say, you know what, I'm going to. I'm going to take that sunk cost. I'm going to pay him out the $50 million that I owe him left over to do nothing and bring in the next experiment. Like we look at it from an X's and O's standpoint and say, yeah, he's not a good NFL football coach, but the way his boss, the owner is going to be looking at it is more of a dollars and cents point of view where it's probably going to make the most sense to bring him back. Unfortunately for 2022, let him take another crack at it unless I really don't know what it's going to take because you talk about these league owners. These guys are billionaires and they don't become billionaires by accident. All right. These guys only think in terms of dollars and cents and to just cut $50 million out of your salary and just move on. I honestly don't see it happening, even if it is the best X's and O's move. Yeah. I mean, you just went through what 10 different things uh, that have happened since Urban Meyer's become a head coach in the NFL that would give you a reason for concern. Now, all those individually might not be enough to get a guy fired after one year, but you put it all together and it is an absolute shit show. I mean, the Ohio bar thing, that happened in week four. That seems like it was three years ago oh, yeah. with the amount of stuff that have, that has gone on with him. Uh, the calling your coaching staff losers. You know what's so funny about this? Someone pointed this out to me. Not only was, was he calling his assistant coaches, the guys that are supposed to be coaching alongside him, losers, but he was the one that hired this staff. He put the <laughs> staff together. So is he not calling himself a, just a terrible it's, leader? Like it's a like terrible... growing up with kids and then like your kid, you call them a loser. It's like, you raised me, asshole. <laughs> you can't take credit yeah, for that. I am half you. Like <laughs> That's how I feel. Urban James... Meyer sounds like a bad dad. Exactly. And the James Robinson stuff, like, obviously, That's it doesn't take a genius to know that he is their best running back, probably their best offensive weapon. And it takes your rookie quarterback telling you to put him back on the field and you in a, mm-hmm. in a press conference later on saying, it's not my call. Like, you're passing the buck as the, as the head coach yeah. to a position coach, not even an offensive coordinator to a position coach. Like, not only are you, ignorant you're a terrible leader but you're also a coward so put all that together and i mean the the chances he makes it to the end of this year i'd say 50 50 the chances he makes it to 2022 no shot and looking forward to 2022 it's so depressing because the jacksonville team is going to finish with probably a top two or three pick in this draft and a draft that is predominantly defense in the first round. You have to think they're probably going to grab one of these great edge rushers or another defensive player with that lottery pick, meaning that they're not adding any skill players to this offense until at least the second round. 
meaning we're going to get the same cast back. Like DJ Chark's on a contract here. He might return. I don't know how much of a boost he really is going to be for the team if he is, but Urban Meyer has successfully stunted the growth of all these young skill players that we expected to take that step forward, most notably Trevor Lawrence, but LaVishka Chenault's not being used properly. James Robinson is having trouble even staying on the field because he's just stunted the growth of this entire team. And unfortunately, if he's back next year, and even if he's not, I don't know that we see any kind of quick turnaround for Jacksonville. Uh, speaking of another team that, that needs a quick turnaround before changes are inevitably made, down in Carolina, Matt Rule, head coach of the Panthers, said that Sam Darnold may play a factor down the stretch. And I don't know about you, but uh, self-preservation is a pretty oh, yeah. motivating thing for most people. <laughs> and uh, I think that is a self-preservation move by Matt Rule. Obviously, the Cam Newton, P.J. Walker experiment is not working out. They are, I believe, 2-8 and eight over their last 10 yep. games. They need... A, uh, a shot in the arm and maybe Sam Darnold can be that to close out the year on a positive note. I mean, at least we saw it from Darnold a little bit in the beginning of the season, maybe this time away from the field, help him clear his mind a little bit, get some of those ghosts off his back. But I, I honestly don't know which quarterback I would prefer to be starting if I'm a Carolina fan or a fantasy owner, like Cam Newton's probably going to be a little bit better than for fantasy just because of what he does on the ground. But look at the last couple of weeks that we've seen out of him with, just single digit flop fantasy performances. So it's not encouraging and it's really, really tough. If you're an owner of one of these skill players on the team, obviously Christian McCaffrey going down is changing this entire offense, but all the pass catchers, uh, DJ Moore, just another lost year for him for one of the most talented wide receivers in the league. Uh, Robbie Anderson, a journeyman, but a, a hell of a skill player. And then Rashad Bateman who really, or not Rashad Bateman, but, uh, uh, why do I always mix up Rashad Bateman and Terrace Marshall? I don't know. Terrace Marshall, no. Terrace Marshall looked like a, he was going to be a good player when he was drafted, and he even started off semi-strong when Darnold was playing well, and he's become a non-factor. He was even inactive a couple weeks ago, just a healthy scratch from the offense. It, it's just completely in shambles, so it really doesn't matter who's under center right now. you got to hope that they get one of these big-name quarterbacks who may be on the market going into next year. Maybe they're one of the first teams coming up this April to pull the trigger on a quarterback in the top half of the first round. Just have to wait and see because it doesn't look like the – future quarterback for Carolina is in the building at this moment. Yeah. How many times has a coordinator been fired mid season and then a team turn it around or like anything positive yeah. really happens for the rest of the year. It just, you know, they got rid of Joe Brady. Like that was going to really, you know, make a difference, but it, it clearly did not, at least for this week. And um, that, that was coming off of a bye week and to put out a dud like they did. It's just, it's tough. And I, I don't see it changing anytime soon. Like you said, you need to, you need to hit a quarterback. You need to get a quarterback. And they don't have mm -hmm. a quarterback that is worth a roster spot on an NFL roster. It's, right it's rough because it's a very talented team, honestly. Like the defense is still playing relatively well considering the position that the offense is putting them in week to week. They have probably one of the top five to ten receiver rooms in the game and then obviously one of the game's elite running backs in Christian McCaffrey. So the rest of the team structure is there. To me, it's very similar to what we're seeing out in Denver. Difference is Denver's finding a way to win games under Teddy Bridgewater, whereas Carolina just hasn't been able to get it done with the platoon of guys they've had under center. Yeah, and, and the crazy part is they have one pick in the top one hundred, I believe, because of that Sam Ooh. Darnold trade. Yeah, that's and they picked killer. up his and they picked up his fifth year option, so they owe him a ton of money next year. Right. Uh, it's just total mismanagement of the most important position on the field, and you're not you don't have the assets in a um, 
in a draft that maybe you don't have a, a ton of top tier quarterback options like you had in previous years, but you have probably four guys that you can make an argument for are worth a top 100 pick and, and taking a shot on them at the quarterback position. And they only have one pick. So, you know, where do they go yeah. with that? How can you turn over a roster that has so many holes with one pick in the top 100 when you have all this money spent on bottom of the barrel talent level quarterbacks? It's just, it's and tough. This is the way it goes whenever. So it might be my homerism at stake here, but whenever the Packers a few years ago pulled the trigger on a Jordan Love when obviously Aaron Rodgers was would go on to win the MVP that year, I didn't hate the move nearly as much as a lot of other people did out there because the quarterback is just that important. We see these franchises without that franchise quarterback, like a Carolina, like a Denver, and you just cannot make any sort of noise, no Super Bowl aspirations if you don't have the right signal caller. Yeah, and you see what happens when you have the wrong one and you have invested in them. Like, you know, you look at teams that have always been kind of middle of the pack over the past 20 years, like teams like the Bengals, and they had a guy like Andy Dalton who could get you kind of to the precipice, he can get you to the playoffs, but you're not a realistic threat to any of the contenders in the AFC when you're throwing out a guy like Andy Dalton. So you can't just be okay at the quarterback position. You have to be top tier for consistent success. So I, I remember when they drafted Jordan Love, I told you, I was like, I hate the pick because you have Aaron Rodgers, but I can't tell him it was a bad move because the quarterback position is that important. I would rather have two startable quarterbacks than have zero. Yeah, and, and you if, didn't like that's Jordan what Love as a prospect either, though, to nah. be fair. Yeah, I didn't like him as a prospect. So, and, and, and the fact that, you know, I didn't know this when it happened, but as it came out afterward, you know, the miscommunication with sure, your best that, player. That's your a whole different thing. Yeah. 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 That made it much worse. But uh, picking a quarterback in the first round, unless you have a, a young, really good quarterback that's under contract, he is your future. It's almost always a good idea. So I, I'm sure. not, I'm not opposed to, to picking up a quarterback. I mean, you were at my house for the draft last year. I was begging the Eagles to, to pick <laughs> Justin Fields when they traded up. I was dying. Yeah. I was like, come on. And, you know, but um, it's, yeah, it's something I, mean, I think a lot, about people, value. a lot of people forget. It's like swings and misses happen in the first round all the time. Like half the NFL first round is going to bust. And then two thirds of the second round and 90% of each other round is going to bust. So why not take that home run swing? And if you can land that quarterback of the future, it has franchise altering trajectory and implications. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Are you ready for the recap? Let's do it. All right, I'll start us off down in FedEx Field where the Cowboys hold on to beat NFC East rival Washington football team 27-20. Another sloppy game from the Dallas offense and Dak Prescott. Not a single Cowboy reached top 20 at their position on Sunday. On the other side, Tyler Heineke, a bit of a gutsy performance though. He didn't yield many fantasy points for himself or anybody else as his best weapon, Terry McLaurin, left the game midway with a concussion. Also, one of the bigger disappointments in of the 2021 fantasy season, Antonio Gibson finished outside the top 40 running backs on the week. Yeah, Taylor Heineke did miss the end of this game with a knee injury, but he is expected back for Cowboys. Zeke now with five straight games being held under 50 rushing yards, and Dak Prescott has had a passer rating under 80 in four of the boys' last six. The Cowboys are winning games, but winning ugly. They are optimistic to get their most explosive runner, Tony Pollard, back for this week. Next up, the Detroit Lions hold the worst record in football, but they lose with heart. The Jacksonville Jaguars are on their heels. 
and they have an open chest cavity where their heart should be. 20 to nothing Titans. The Jags, the first team in over 20 years to be shut out and record under 10 team rushing yards. Urban Meyer cementing himself among the worst coaching hires in NFL history. For the Titans, Julio Jones did return to the game. He had a 20% target share on limited passing volume in a game that the Titans had under control from the first whistle. Yeah, word is Urban Meyer sent his coaches home to watch tape, but it was just of him on the Ohio State sideline <laughs> so those f***ing losers could see what a winner looks like. Please, Lord, allow this man to be fired so someone can unlock the T-Law to LaVisca connection. All right, over to Houston, where the Seahawks fans think beating the Texans 31-13 means that they're back. DK Metcalf hasn't been a top 30 wide receiver since week 8 versus the Jaguars. His quarterback, Russell Wilson, has had a strange season as well. He leads the league in first-half passer rating at a 126.4, but is ninth worst in the league in second-half passer rating at 83. On the bright side, Rashad Penny had a big day, and believe it or not, this is his third game over 100 yards. For Houston, Davis Mills was actually solid. He went over 300 yards and had a touchdown on the day en route to his third QB1 performance in nine games. For Seattle, DK Metcalf continues his streak of being held under 60 receiving yards to six straight now. His running mate Tyler Lockett goes over 100 for the 15th time in his career, tying him for fourth best among Seattle pass catchers all time. Royce Freeman, he did get mixed into this one a muddy backfield with a 50% rush share for the week. Next up, Arrowhead. The Kansas City Chiefs have now outscored the Raiders 89-23 in their two contests this season. Most recently, this 48-9 victory on Sunday. Kansas City defense has been stifling, allowing fewer than 10 points in three straight, the longest streak for them since 1997. Travis Kelsey, three catches, 27 yards for the second straight week. The Raiders' season continues to derail. They are now 1-5 since their Week 9 bye. Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacobs, the bright spots in this offense since Waller's been away. Their wide receiver 4 and running back 8 in the three weeks that he's been hurt. If the Kansas City Chiefs only played against the Las Vegas Raiders this season, Patrick Mahomes would be on pace for 6,500 yards, 79 touchdowns, and zero interceptions. I don't think I could do that on Madden, even on Rookie. That's ridiculous. No, it's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> to New York, where Taysom Hill and the Saints win the Clash of the Mormons, beating Zach Wilson and the Jets 30-9. Yes. Without a single helping hand, Zach Wilson stayed relatively mistake-free, though it was not a pretty performance. This was only his second game without an interception, though, and I'll take that as a good sign because this Jets team is abysmal. For the Saints, their MVP came back and showed out. AK-41 had a day covering the spread on his game totals of carries, yards, receptions, and touchdowns on the day. Zach Wilson continues to operate under fire as he was sacked three times on the day. The Jets as a team have allowed a sack in 48 straight games. The longest streak in the NFL. Rookie Elijah Moore was placed on IR before the game, but Coach Sala said he does expect them back for the last couple of games, and fellow rookie Michael Carter could return as soon as this week. For the Saints, like you said, Alvin Kamara, he returned to form with 145 total yards and a score. The Saints snapped their losing streak by winning their first game since Halloween when Jameis Winston started at quarterback against the Bucks. They travel to Tampa next week to kick off the fantasy playoffs. Cam Newton dropped his 11th straight start for the Panthers, dating back to Week 9 of 2018. This one by the score of 29-21 against the divisional rival Falcons. Carolina falls to 0-18 since the start of last year when allowing 22 or more points. The only team that's been worse at that clip, 
the 0-24 Jacksonville Jaguars. We are piling the salt on the wound today. <laughs> Kyle Pitts has 50 or more receiving yards for the seventh time this season. Only Sean Collins and Julio Jones had more games as rookies in Atlanta Falcons history. Cordero Patterson is the first Falcons running back with 10 or more touchdowns in a season since the dynamic duo of Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman in 2016. The ghost of Joe Brady will haunt the Carolina Panthers until they realize the quarterback position cannot be pieced together. This is the NFL. You get a quarterback or you die. In Cleveland, Baker Mayfield and the boys won by the skin of their teeth 24-22. Lamar Jackson left this game with an ankle injury and will possibly miss round one of the fantasy playoffs, so pay attention to updates on that. Rashad Bateman, a favorite of this podcast, had his first big game going 7 for 103 and outshining his fellow teammate and a not-so-favorite of this podcast, Marquise Brown. For Cleveland, the offense hasn't come easy. This is the first time since week 9 that they scored at least 20 points and only the fifth time all year. Placing eight players on the COVID list on Wednesday is not going to help things. For the Ravens, Mark Andrews with over 100 yards and a score for the fourth time in his career that matches all other Ravens tight ends in franchise history combined. As you mentioned, Rashad Bateman, he's been good. He had three or more catches in seven of his eight games this season, already tied for fourth best among Ravens rookies all time. Nick Chubb has been struggling as he's held a single-digit PPR points for the third time in his last five games. His backfield running mate Kareem Hunt expected to miss this upcoming week with an ankle injury. The Chargers, they go as Herbert goes, winning 37-21 in a game that wasn't even as close as the lopsided score. They improved to 7-0 in games where the sophomore has a triple-digit passer rating on the season. Austin Eckler had his RB one week cut short with an ankle injury, leaving him day-to-day with a quick turnaround on Thursday night football. Saquon Barkley breaks 60 rushing yards for the first time since 2019. He finished with a less-than-impressive 64 on the ground. Mike Glennon hasn't won a game that he started in the NFL since week three of 2017 for the Chicago Bears. The following game, Thursday night football in Lambeau Field where Clay Matthews strips sacks him and becomes the all-time sack leader for the pack. He was injured on the play and it paved the way <laughs> for the Mitch Trubisky era in Chicago. I know. Yeah, you just there. had to throw that in there. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Herbert is the first quarterback to throw for 30 touchdowns in his first two seasons in the NFL. He also has 19 touchdowns of 20-plus yards over that span. That is the most in the league. The kid is hot. Over to Denver, where the Broncos had their way with the Lions to the tune of a 38-10 victory. Melvin Gordon was banged up but stuck around and ran wild for 111 yards and two scores alongside his backfield mate and league leader in broken tackles, Javante Williams, who also scored. It's a true timeshare and it isn't changing. That goes hand in hand with the anemic receiving core output for Denver. Their top three guys combined for less than 100 yards for the second time in three games. And someone please put Dan Campbell out of his misery. It's so sad to watch him on the sidelines every week. (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. Yeah, the Broncos running backs were rolling heading into the fantasy playoffs. Gordon Williams combined for 194 yards and four scores in the Denver win. Gordon has seven scores in his last six games, Williams four in his last three. Both these backs continue to be usable for fantasy. With the loss, the Lions are now officially eliminated from playoff contention, although Dan Campbell said he is hopeful to get DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson back as soon as this week. Finally, some good football and victory laps aplenty for this podcast as the 49ers win in overtime over the Cincinnati Bengals 
26-23 since returning from injury back in Week 9. George Kittle has outscored the tight end to Mark Andrews by over 32 fantasy points in half PPR. He's outscored the tight end three by nearly 60 points, or just under 10 points per game. Brandon Ayuk scoring overtime was his ninth career touchdown reception, the most among San Francisco players in their first two seasons since Hall of Famer Terrell Owens. Fellow sophomore wide receiver T. Higgins carried the Bengals offense to the tune of over 100 yards for the third straight game. Joe Mixon was kept from the end zone this week for the first time since back in week three. That was when we still thought Urban Meyer was a bad coach, but a loyal husband. His touchdown streak was the longest in franchise history. Oh, it's brutal. <laughs> it's a hell of a game here, though. It's a hell of a game. Joe Burrow's fourth quarter was something special. He hit Jamar Chase on two of the more impressive touchdown tosses you'll see all year. And as good as the 49ers are playing, I'm dying to see some Trey Lance, man. Jimmy Handsome just ain't doing it for me anymore, but... uh. Shout out George Kittle, who becomes the fourth 49er to have back-to-back 150-plus receiving yard performances. Only Jerry Rice, Terrell Owens, and John Taylor have accomplished that feat before him. Was that two Terrell Owens references in the same clip? Very nice by us. Yes, it was. Down in Florida, Tom wins a close one for the 800th time. Chris Godwin has been his favorite target over the past two weeks, seeing a total of 32 targets by by far the most of football over the past two weeks. And his running mate, Mike Evans, he's also producing alongside him. He's tied for the league lead in receiving touchdowns with 11. Everybody eats in TB's TB as Lenny Fournette goes over 100 yards for the second time in three games. And on the other side, Josh Allen becomes the second player ever with at least 300 passing yards, 100 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown in a single game. Kyle, who else did that? I know there's four players who have gone for over 300 and 100. I remember three of them being Allen, Lamar, and Russell Wilson. So I'm going to go with Russ. Correct. That is correct. (laughs) That's it right. Uh, Buffalo, on the other hand, they've had some bad luck. They are now 0-5 in games decided by seven points. The only other team winless in those situations is the Houston Texans. So just so we're clear, TB's TB, that's Tom Brady's Tampa Bay, right? Yes, it is. Right, just got to clear that up for everyone. The yeah, you're Pharaoh. smarter than you look, dude. <laughs> the Pharaoh is going to need to add another wing to Brady Manor to make room for his 2021 MVP trophy. Tom finishes with 363 passing yards, three total touchdowns, and adds 16 with his 44-year-old legs in the overtime win. He improves to 33-3 in his lifetime against Buffalo. 33-3. I don't go 33 for 36 of putting my pants on correctly in the morning. Josh (laughs) Allen had a huge week as he tallied, like you said, over 300 through the air, over 100 on the ground. He controlled 66 of the 73 offensive plays for Buffalo, while the Bills' backfield combined for just seven total attempts. Allen was in a walking boot after the game with a case of turf toe, but hard to think that he misses any time with the playoffs on the line for Buffalo. Sunday night football, Justin Fields encapsulates his rookie season into this game. Mountain highs and valley lows in the primetime loss to Green Bay, 45-30. As he threw for 224, rushed for 74, and added a couple big scores, but also turned the ball over three times. After eight straight games with under 200 passing yards, the Bears have broken that mark now in five straight. Offense starting to turn around for Chicago. The big three for Green Bay of Rodgers, Adams, and Jones all finished with good fantasy weeks. The number one seed Packers are undefeated at 10-0 this season in games where they record a takeaway. And other than uh, a just miserable 
special teams performance, Green oh, Bay absolutely. looks like the team to beat in the NFC. I mean, they look fantastic. And Tom Brady may be the MVP, on, but on his best days, Aaron Rodgers may be even more impressive. He has now led the Packers to a 10-3 overall record, tied for the lead in the NFC. But more importantly, they are 11-2 versus the spread this year. Well, you missed a heck of a divisional matchup on Monday night. It did not disappoint. Both these teams are undefeated this season when allowing fewer than 24 points, but only one of them did on Monday night. The now third-place Cardinals in the NFC fall to 3-3 three and three at home. James Conner, like you said, that was probably his last game before Chase Edmonds returns to the field. Temper your expectations going into the playoffs. I think this is still James Conner's backfield, but maybe not that 100% that we hope. Tyler Higby was a late scratch as COVID makes its rounds through the NFL. NFL, which left Cooper Cup to continue cooking with 13 catches, 123 yards, and a score for 2021's top whiteout. His running mate Odell Beckham records a score in his third straight game, and Van Jefferson rounds out the LA receivers with 58 yards and a tutty. So with essentially three and a half games, what do you think of the Odell Rams? What do you think about Odell in LA? So two different things. The Rams, they can play with anyone. But just like 99% of the NFL, they can also lose to anyone. So as far as what they're going to do in the playoffs, I honestly have no idea. This this fantasy, play, not fantasy playoffs, the NFL playoffs are going to be so fun to try to piece together brackets whenever that time comes because it really just seems like everyone is so evenly matched. you got probably three teams in each conference that are head and shoulders above the rest. You probably... Probably what? The Lions, the Bears, the Jaguars, Texans, and Jets who are just head and shoulders worse than everyone, and literally every other team could win or lose to any other team. It's going to be so matchup dependent. It's really going to be, a th- I think, a really fun postseason. We should get some good contests. As far as fantasy and Odell Beckham, it's been impressive, man. Like I'm not going to go on the limb and say he's back to 2018 Odell Beckham or anything like that, but I think if you did hold on and when everyone honestly just whether you wanted to sell or not you know in your deepest heart of hearts you wanted to sell Odell Beckham if you could and the trade has just breathed second life into you and then like we've mentioned before and as you're aware of just several hours later losing Robert Woods I don't think he has all the success if Robert Woods is still on the team he's going to be bumped off the field a lot more and you have to be impressed with Van Jefferson and what he's done in his limited opportunities I love I don't know if you saw uh it was a couple weeks ago when Van scored a touchdown and he just did a little back and forth with McVay on the sideline where you can tell that those two are just clicking and in sync and just have, <clears throat> excuse me, a general or a gen, genuine, genuine appreciation for each other. It's just really fun to watch and especially amidst everything we're seeing in Jacksonville with Urban Meyer, just someone who just completely fucks up all human interaction to see like what I saw with Van Jefferson and Sean McVay. It's just really fun to see. Yeah, I think uh, the top of the NFC is so dominant um, that I'm not worried about whoever makes it in as as that seventh seed making any noise in the playoffs. Like, I I don't think, you know, if, let's say, Carolina turns it around and they sneak in in the seventh seed, like, they're not Mm -hmm. scaring anybody in the NFC playoffs. But you look over to the AFC where every team has shown a lot of miscues, a lot of hiccups. Like, unless you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan who can – probably pretty confidently say that they're back to to what they were the previous two years or at least very close to it then man the the bills are struggling the patriots have a rookie quarterback um the i mean those are i think two of the more impressive teams the chargers are are probably going to make the playoffs though they would scare me but 
I think those wild card teams are an actual threat to the top teams in the AFC, whereas in the NFC, man, I, I think that seven seed is just going to get waxed, whoever they are. Take a guess right now. Obviously, 32 teams in the NFL. How many of them right now, without looking, do you think have either six or seven wins? Nine. Fourteen. Holy Nearly half the league is sitting with either <laughs> six or seven wins at the moment. So much parity wow. in this year's NFL. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, and, and unless you're a fan of the New York teams, you probably have yeah. something going for you that, that you can be confident in. Um, but like the Giants, yeah, the Jets, the like Giants, yeah. There's probably a few teams yeah. I left out in those really sucky teams. I yeah, forgot the about Giants, the Giants, the Jets, the Jags, the Lions. Like unless you're a fan of those bottom five or six teams, you have something going for you still this late yep. in the season, which is pretty impressive. All right, man. It's time to move on to the buy and sell recap. So I am going to start us off with the buys. All right. A few weeks ago, I told you to buy Ryan Tannehill, and I wish I didn't. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that one has not worked out for you so well. You want to try no. to defend it, or are you? Uh, uh, no, I just here? no. I think uh, losing. Derrick Henry broke that offense, and he's not good enough to overcome it. And I thought he would be, especially with the weapons hopefully coming back healthy, but they really haven't. I mean, A.J. Brown is still on the IR. Uh, Julio Jones came back this past week but was quiet as he was the rest of the year. Yeah, they didn't throw the football. No, I mean, they didn't have to. It was against Houston, or it's against the Jags. But either way, I mean, Ryan Tannehill has not – he hasn't been a QB one for most weeks of the year. That's, I mean, I would have no. told you that's not true. Uh, if you would have told me that week one, that that's where we'd be now week 14 or week 15 now, but man, it's just been rough. And I thought, I thought he, he would be good enough and that offense would get back on track. They just haven't. Yeah. I, I didn't think you were wrong, but Ryan Tannehill, you're going to look at your season long ranks and see that he's somewhere around QB 20 for you in your league, but it's only because he stayed healthy where I've rattled off a list to you the other day. Almost every quarterback in the league has missed a game at this point. Like, we haven't had very many season-ending serious injuries at the quarterback position like we have at every other position in fantasy. Really, Jameis, the only quarterback of note who's gone down for the season to this point. But Ryan Tannehill, like, I'm pulling up our league right now, and it's six points per passing touchdown. And he only has two games this entire season where he's broke 20 fantasy points in six points per passing touchdown leagues, both of them against the Indianapolis Colts, who he just owns for whatever reason. But unfortunately for fantasy owners, he doesn't get to play them again. His fantasy playoffs, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, and Miami, three of the hotter defenses in the league. So if you bought Ryan Tannehill, unfortunate. I do think, like you said, losing Derrick Henry just changed so much of this offense. No longer is Ryan Tannehill facing eight, nine guys in the box trying to slow down just the machine that was Derrick Henry and he's being forced to play quarterback with really just backup and not NFL caliber weapons as his receivers. 
Uh, Anthony Ferkser, I thought, had every opportunity this season to step up and take that tar- starting tight end role and run with it, and it just hasn't happened. He's been finding himself in a timeshare with two other guys so far this season. Julio Jones can't stay on the field. A.J. Brown obviously went down a couple of weeks ago. The only thing you can really be confident right now in the Tennessee Titans is the running game, but even that's kind of split up. I mean, Deontay Foreman is solid, and if you listened to us a month or two ago, then congratulations. You may be able to give him some spot starts in the playoffs but if Derrick Henry comes back sooner than later, then that disappears. And if you're a Derrick Henry owner, he's not going to make it back in time to help you for round one of the fantasy playoffs if you are in the playoffs. So really just this entire Tennessee offense is just kind of, I mean, they're, they're a team that just doesn't look good right now. And for that reason, I got to give you the D. Show <laughs> yeah, yeah that, to clarify, that was if you were a contender, I was telling you by Ryan Tannehill. So that, I think that honestly just makes it even worse. Um, <laughs> but... But then that next week, I told you if you were a rebuilder to buy Michael Gallup. Michael Gallup has actually did what I wanted him to do in order to gain more value for you as a rebuilder. So I think this one worked out. I mean, he's averaging about nine and a half targets, about 60 yards, and half a touchdown over the past four weeks since I told you to buy. Yeah, Gallup's been solid. It you said to buy, he came back, and the rest of the receiver room has stayed healthy. But here's some really encouraging stuff. Since he came back full-time week 11, he only played about 50% of snaps against Atlanta week 10. But since week 11, he's come back, and his snap shares have been 94%, 96%, 91%, 82% this last week against Washington. So even though he is the number three option in this Dallas offense, he's staying on the field, which is great. And then what's even more encouraging is the amount of targets he's getting. 10 targets, 8 targets, 9 and 9 the last two weeks. So he's only really had a couple of usable fantasy weeks in that time uh five catches 106 yards week 12 against vegas five catches 36 and a touchdown against new orleans and but other than that he really hasn't sunk you in any sort of ppr league five for 44 against kansas city and five for 60 this last week against washington he's he's been making plays is the biggest thing is he's passing the eye test right now when you look at him so if you were a rebuilder able to get your hands on him he's earned his way into a big contract coming up. And is that going to come with the Dallas Cowboys? Who knows? I, I think there's a scenario where that happens. I, I think that probably means Amari Cooper is gone dealing with the cap issues that the Cowboys are going to be facing next year. So if they want to bring Gallup back, I think it costs him Cooper. But if you're looking at Michael Gallup as the number two receiver alongside C.D. Lamb for Dak Prescott for the next few years, you're feeling outstanding about where you bought him at a few weeks ago. So since his... Fantasy, math in my head, and I just carry the one. I give you a B plus for Michael Gallup. Nice. I'm starting to come around, to be fair. Like, I told you at the time, like, I really wasn't that interested in Michael Gallup, but like, like I preach all the time, we hold the right to change our mind when presented with new information. And Michael Gallup has looked good, even playing behind Cooper, even playing behind Lamb. He looks good in that offense. There's games where he's the best receiver on the field. So I'm, I'm all about this spy. Good job. You yeah, and, and two, and another another point like you made about the uh, the salary cap situation, it's jumping up about twenty million from this past year's salary to this upcoming cap in twenty twenty two. So, unless you're one of the you know five teams that's still going to be over the cap, then and you have an opening at wide receiver, I think he's going to be an option because he's not going to be one of the highest paid uh, free agent wide receivers. You have guys like Chris Godwin that are going to be on the market. So he's not going to get that top-tier free agent wide receiver money. But like I said, when I was trying to to convince you to buy him as a rebuilder, he can be the number two almost anywhere. I mean, there's there's only a few wide receiver cores in the league where he 
isn't good enough to be the second wide receiver, the second option in that. I don't offense. even know. So, I don't even know if that's a given that he's going to be the number two. Quite honestly, like the way that he's looked, and look at what we saw last year, where guys like Will Fuller, he got number one receiver money. Granted, it was just on a one year contract, and he's played like three snaps this entire season. Well done, Will Fuller. But like, if Will Fuller can go out there and command number one wide receiver money, I don't think it's crazy at all to see Michael Gallup get that kind of money. For one, there's probably four or five teams in the NFL right now where he would be the best receiver if he came in today. So I don't think it's out of the question that he's going to pull in twelve, fourteen million dollars a year on a big contract. Yeah, fingers crossed. I'm actually hoping he comes to Philly. Uh, I think he'd be a great number two for a guy like Devonta Smith to uh, balance off of. I mean, and he, he wouldn't be competing for targets with anybody other than Devontae Smith and maybe Dallas Goddard. So that would be a nice spot, a place like Philly that has an obvious need, um, is changing their offense, and uh, would be paying him a, a pretty penny to come over and play for them. So that would be an interesting spot. A place like Green Bay, who's losing a lot of talent at the wide receiver position, likely yeah, this offseason. Yeah, who knows what that room is going to look like. Uh, yeah, that, that room's going to be in flux, so that's something to pay attention to. But he, th- what I'm trying to get at is there's options for him, and I think Absolutely. a lot of the options are, are appealing. So hopefully you got your hands on him. And then my last one, if you were a contender, I told you to get another quarterback, this one being Matthew Stafford. A little bit stronger than the Ryan Tannehill one, but still not bit. one I'm all that proud of. So why we said Tannehill had, what, two games with more than 20 fantasy points? Looking at Matt Stafford yeah. right now, he's only got three games of the 13 that he's played where he hasn't eclipsed 20 fantasy points. So although he hasn't been Tom Brady or a Josh Allen, he's been very consistent for you at the quarterback position, and that's something you really need in route to a deep playoff run and hopefully a fantasy championship. And I think that Matt Stafford's still the guy who can do it. In the last three weeks, he's gone over 25 points, like I said, in six points per passing touchdown each week. He's been he looks really good. His stable of weapons is still among the best of the league, even after the Robert Woods injury. Uh, fantasy playoff schedule, Seattle, Minnesota, Baltimore is still very appealing. Uh, we saw what Seattle turned Davis Mills into this last week. So I, I love starting Stafford in week one of the playoffs. If you have that as an option, I think it was a good spot to buy him because at the point you did, obviously the Rams were struggling and he had a couple of really bad weeks going into the bye uh, against the Tennessee Titans. He had 294 passing yards, but one touchdown, two picks follows that up against San Francisco, 243 through the air. Again, one touchdown, two picks back to back weeks with pick sixes and then rolling into the bye. Since then, he rebounded, had a good game against Green Bay, three touchdown passes. Jacksonville, three touchdown passes. And then against uh, Arizona Monday night, three touchdown passes. So I think he's exactly the type of quarterback where if you have a talented roster at the skill spots, Matthew Stafford will make sure to bring you that sort of level inconsistency for a deep playoff run. So it's a straight B from me to you for Matthew Hmm. Stafford. I still think it's a good call. Yeah, I like I like to buy the result that we that we have so far, but I think the problem with me making him a buy was that you probably didn't get him all that cheap. I mean, he did have two bad Perhaps games not. leading into when I told you to buy him, which is the main reason why I told you to buy him is because if anybody is concerned about him, I think he had a great schedule and you know a team that needs to fight for that NFC West title, and they still have to going down the stretch here. Uh, it's going to be on the back of Matthew Stafford, so I thought the volume was going to be there. Obviously, like the weapons that he's throwing to with Cooper Cup, who's the best wide receiver in fantasy right now. Uh, Odell Beckham has came on strong over the past few weeks. Um, at the time, I believe Robert Woods was still on the team. 
um, before he got injured. So I, I liked a lot of the the pieces around him and his talent. I've, I've liked him as an NFL quarterback for years now. So all that being said, it, it was a solid buy, not anything you're going to write home about. All right. So I, th- I think that was solid. Two for three for you on the buy category. Bad. It's all right. I mean, you kind of whiffed on Tannehill, but – at the same time, that offense is just kind of in shambles, even though that was You don't have to Henry be nice, injury. man. You could just tell me, it's a uh, fuck up. Oh, no, sorry. All right, yeah, you suck. <laughs> All right, man, let's move on to the cells. Cell. No, 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 Take just get it out of here. You can sell anything, sell, sell, sell anything. me this f***ing pen right here. You can sell anything, sell that. We all sell out every day. Might as well be on the winning team. Sell! Uh, you have the sells this week. Let's recap them. All right, so first off for me, about four weeks ago, five weeks ago, I told you to sell Tyler Boyd. And I think that has absolutely worked out. Remember, Tyler Boyd got off to a really strong start to this fantasy season, scoring double-digit fantasy points in three of his first four games. But since then, it's been inconsistency and some of the lowest lows. He's been in single-digit fantasy points in, let me count it out, one, two, three, four, five of his last seven games. And the two games where he broke double digits against the Jets, he had 18 points. And against Vegas, he had 11. So he's not winning you any weeks. He's on probably the back nine or at least coming around whole nine of his career at 27 years of age. So I'd still stick with what I said before, Tyler Boyd. If you didn't get rid of him, probably someone you should be looking to move this offseason. Yeah, and it coincides with T. Higgins, a younger ascending wide receiver, getting more work, getting more volume, getting more production. So not only did you sell a guy who is uh, who wasn't going to be able to sustain the production that we've seen from him in the past, he's also going to be losing targets from a guy who we all agree is, is better than him and is ascending while he is descending. So I think it was a great buy or a great uh, sell at the time, Tyler Boyd. I agreed with you then. I agree with you now. I'm going to give you a. I'll give you an A minus to start. I'll Ooh, give you a strong pump that A minus. Way up. I was I was hoping you would lowball me a little bit because I got one last thing that I wanted to say. Since I told you to sell him back in week nine, he's been the wide receiver 52 and a half PPR. One spot behind Alameda Sikias. Who? You know that name. Everyone knows <laughs> yeah, that damn it. name because yeah, he's, he's let so everyone fast. down before. <laughs> yeah, but he's, he's so fast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good for him. How many fantasy points do you get for your 40 again? Uh, I don't know. Ask uh, Brian Edwards. Oh, stop, man. Don't don't rub salt <laughs> in this wound here. All right. Next up, back in week 10, I told you to sell Damian Harris, and he's been sort of a mixed bag coming off a good game a couple weeks ago against Buffalo. Obviously, they had the bye last week. Remember that Buffalo game? That was the one with the crazy wins where they attempted all three pass attempts, so it was just a ton of volume. Um In that Buffalo game, he only got 10 carries, but he broke two long rushes in the game, ended up with 10 carries, 111 yards, and a score. But outside of that big blow-up game, he really hasn't produced for fantasy since back in Week 7. So like I said, I told you to buy in Week 10. Didn't play against – or sorry, sell uh, after the Carolina game. Cleveland, he didn't play. Atlanta, a real stinker, just nine fantasy points. Tennessee, 12 fantasy points in spite of scoring. This Buffalo game, yeah, was huge, but the biggest thing, now what I brought up at the time, rolling into the fantasy playoffs, 
Indianapolis, Buffalo, and Jacksonville for the fantasy playoffs. And even though Jacksonville's not even probably the okay run defense I thought they were, if you're relying on Damian Harris to get you past Indy and past Buffalo, I don't see you making it to the finals. I'm sorry. I don't see you making it to Jacksonville to reap the benefits of that matchup in Week 17. Yeah, I mean, he is what he is. It's 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 not a guy you're you're really all that excited about and selling him you probably got more than what he was worth. So I like the idea to sell. He is, I think, a, a bi-week fill-in, like an RB3, low-end RB2 type. Um, but it's just you can't predict what's going to happen. I mean, he could be totally game scripted out, and you would have no idea until the game's already halfway through. So it's just not a guy you want to rely on, a guy you want to trust going into the fantasy playoffs. And like you mentioned, he does have a few tough matchups coming up so hopefully you have better options or you got rid of them when you could i like the buy i don't love it i'll give you uh be so i did the same thing sorry that's the sell the sell yeah i don't don't want anyone to get it twisted out there and say go buy damian harris all right yeah you you said to sell him that's for sure and uh, i'll give you a b minus Okay, I'll take solid back-to-back grades. Uh, One last thing on him, just to run the numbers since I told you to sell. He's been the running back 31 in fantasy uh, behind some pretty putrid names, some backup running backs, Mike Davis, Alexander Madison, Devin Singletary. These guys all in front of him since I told you to sell back in week 10. All right, next up for me, this one is looking really solid at the time. I told you to sell Travis Kelsey. As mentioned in the recap, Travis Kelsey back-to-back games now with three catches for 27 yards. Uh, Two weeks ago, I think that was probably just he wasn't the option. There were other things available. Last week, the Raiders made a concentrated effort to take him out of the game plan, which clearly worked out for the Las Vegas Raiders (laughs) in route to allowing, what, 48 points, whatever it was, against the Kansas City Chiefs. Just putrid. But Travis Kelsey is – I made the argument back then that he was was still – tight end one on the season, but he wasn't providing you that difference-making edge that we've seen over my preseason tight end one in George Kittle. And go ahead and just take those victory laps. Guy, Same guy I told you to buy back early in the season. George Kittle is absolutely providing that edge. And I could say you're getting a little bit of that edge also from Mark Andrews. Travis Kelsey just is a lot of edging going on. Anymore. I'm edging earlier in the show what was i i was getting under big guys or something i'm, I'm you were really riding, provocative riding show. that man that's what you're doing <laughs> we're coming back from the buy stronger and more provocative than ever and since i told you to sell this is the first time that i've gone and utilized this tool to see where players rank over a certain time i switched to the tight end tab and i have to scroll to find travis kelsey's name since i told you to sell he's actually the lowest of the lows for tight end ones he's the tight end 12 on the season behind names like gerald everett Jared Cook, he's been struggling. It's been rough. Hopefully you got out while you could. Yeah, hopefully this continues. If you're a guy that's shooting for a title next year, maybe you can get him real cheap this offseason. So I want to just fill that spot with, uh, if you you know you don't have better options, do you, the tight end landscape's think, just so hard right now. Do you think that's a move you would make this offseason? You'd be willing yes. to go out there and try to acquire him on the cheap? Yeah, if I can get him for like a, I don't know, like a, it's like a late second. Like if I'm a contender going into uh, the the season next year, maybe a late second for Travis Kelsey to try to put me over the mm-hmm. top. If if my tight end position is the the spot I'm missing, because like I I told you when you when you said to sell that I'm on board. You know, if you are a rebuilder, you need to get rid of him. Or you should have got rid of him beforehand. But if you're a contender, this might be the time to get him cheap. Obviously not right now because you're. 
your deadline sure. has assuredly passed uh, at this point, but I still think he's got some something left in the tank. Tight ends like him uh, can produce longer than we like to think. At least uh, we know some of the Hall of Famers have in the past. So I don't think he's dead and buried, but I like the take, and I like the idea to sell him. So once again, I'm going to give you another B here. All right. Keep them rolling with the bees. So mm-hmm. I'm really upset right now that you and I don't share any leagues where I have Travis Kelsey. I have zero dynasty shares of Travis Kelsey. I moved on from all of them if I ever had them. Only in redraft or else I'd be making that move with you this upcoming offseason. All right, last up to round out these cells. Oh, my gosh, home run of home runs. I told you to sell three weeks ago. Go get rid of Cam Newton. And this was following his... Start against Washington, where he put up 30 fantasy points coming off the game with Arizona, where he played only 12% of snaps, but scored two touchdowns. And everyone's flying high, even Cam himself saying, I'm back. No, it's I'm bad. Cam Newton is not good at football. I've been saying it for years, like before the return to Carolina, before the time in in New England. He's just not a good thrower of the football. So what he's always been better than anyone else, he's been a better athlete, but the man's 32 years old. He's 32, 6'5", 245. That doesn't age well. Okay, it's not a skill set that transcends time by any means. A lot of quarterbacks will get better as they get older, a la and Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, these guys that just get smarter and are able to dissect the game. But Cam Newton's never won like that. He's never gone out there and won the game because he's the smartest player on the field. He goes out there and wins the game because he was the best athlete on the field. And that hasn't been the case for years. So I knew as soon as we saw this spike, these back-to-back big fantasy days, you got to get rid of them. And I warned about this exact thing in the same breath. It said, do not be left holding the bag when his value returns back to zero because that's where it's at right now. Yeah, I mean, he was dead. He was dead. And then somehow... He was a waiver wire guy, even in Dynasty. Yeah. He was completely worthless. And then he came back and everyone got excited because his name's Cam Newton and he's fun to watch and he's super mad and all that stuff. So if you could have got anything, and I mean literally anything... For Cam Newton, it was a win, and uh, no, absolutely couldn't. Um, And and it, it, I mean, maybe it's a milk toast take. Some people are saying that to to sell Cam (laughs) Newton, Uh, but just remember when I told you to sell. I know we look back in hindsight and say, "Well, duh," but I mean, this was coming off of the week where I think he was the QB four on the on the week. Like people were thinking, like I can push my chips in, like. Rebuilders obviously aren't should not have invested, but there were some contenders out there. I'm sure you thought, okay, maybe Cam Newton is the quarterback I've been missing. I've got the rest of it pieced together. Maybe Cam Newton can be my signal caller in my quarterback position and take me through the fantasy playoffs. It's not going to get any easier for him. Buffalo, Tampa, New Orleans to finish out the fantasy oh, season. It's going to be rough. God, man. that is rough. And not to mention, I mean, we heard reports that we talked about earlier that Sam Darnold might have a role. Sure, he may not hold year, on to this job. He couldn't he can't hold off PJ Walker. PJ yeah. Walker is playing over him. I, I know it's just really for like two minute drills because Cam apparently just doesn't know the offense. A la my previous statement about not being the smartest player on the field. He just it's not that guy for you. The guy, like, it looked great. It looked like the clouds were opening because I had leagues where I was struggling at quarterback and I was able to scoop Cam Newton up off the waiver wire and just toss him in my lineup. And for a week or two there, it looks like, yes, my prayers were answered. I now have a complete team. I'm ready to make my run. It was all too good to be true. Yep. And uh, you got out from under him, was that two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Yeah, three um, weeks ago. They had two time. games, yeah. including the bye. Perfect time. So I'll give you a. 
Uh, it's just, it was so easy, but <laughs> it's so right. Was so it? I'll give no, you well, it. I said it for re- or for uh, contenders. To be fair, yeah. like the Travis Kelsey one, I can okay, give you like fair. yeah, a rebuilder. You don't want to hold on to an aging tight end. But I told contenders to sell Cam Newton. Okay, I'll give you an A then. Give yes. What a day for me. This is like a 3-5 yeah. GPA. This is everything A-B-B-A. I was supposed to do you in high school. ABBA. Oh, my gosh. Good for me. Man, if I would have done this in high school, maybe we wouldn't be hosting a fantasy podcast out of my living room, and I could actually be making of my, something of myself right now. <laughs> maybe you could learn to speak first. <laughs> Host the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to make something of myself. Jeez. You... <laughs> Make me happy. Happy. I'm going to blame you. Bye. Get to our last segment. It's on you this week. We're not going too far back in the past for this one. Remember Paul Perkins? Yeah, Paul Perkins. I remember, uh, Giants back, right, for yeah. a few years. Doesn't Who it else? seem like he's been out of the league for like 20, not 20 years, but like for several, several years, it seems like Paul Perkins has been gone. Yeah, he sounds like one of those like late 2000s backs that just kind of hung around for a while. Guy's been out there was, of the there was like hype eight, behind years. him. There was hype behind him back in 2016. That was the year before David Gettleman spent the second overall pick on a running back who three years later looks like he's completely washed. Uh, We're coming for throats this week. If you're a bad organization, (laughs) we're coming for you. But that 2016 season, he was supposed to be that guy. Like, and he was like, maybe could almost be the poster child for like the running back dead zone where you weren't spending and probably first few picks on him, but somewhere in the middle rounds, he was a very popular guy. looked like he was going to control that New York backfield. And then his stats on the season in 14 games played 112 carries, 456 yards, zero touchdowns. Oh, God, it's gross. Was he competing with uh, Orleans Darkwa? That's, I think he was, yeah. That's definitely, I think he was in the backfield around that time. Let me look it up real quick. But the thing that I always remember with Paul Perkins was the nickname that he got from the fantasy uh, footballers. Do you remember what that was? No, no. (laughs) Smash Jackson. Smash Jack when Paul he was Perkins. getting the all season. <laughs> yes, when they were getting the all season hype, it was like uh, it's really hard to get hyped up about a guy named Paul Perkins. And there's something <laughs> to that. Like they're right. So he got the nickname all season Smash Jackson to get people a little more excited about him. But his play definitely never get that. Did that? Yeah. So, so say, how'd that work out? <laughs> maybe even a better remember the name. The guy who was leading the backfield back in 2016, Rashad Jennings. Yeah. He was a good – he was actually a, like a good running back at one point. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, he was 31 years old for that season. Yeah. But the rest of that backfield, wow, there's some cool names in here. Like, you remember all of them. Obviously, Paul Perkins, Rashad Jennings. You mentioned Orleans Darqua, Bobby Rainey, Shane Vereen. These guys wow. were both in the backfield for New York, and that's 2016. Bobby Rainey. So that Rashad Jennings, he was the uh, lightning to Brandon Jacobs' thunder in yeah, New York, wasn't New he? Yeah, York. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that backfield was vicious back in the day when they were still Super Bowls. Speaking of random, unproductive running backs, do you think, last thing I'll ask you before we close it out, do you think Rashad Penny could be a league winner for, no. for some people? No. 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 <laughs> if we're still doing buys and sells, I would probably have him as a sell no matter what the format. Stop. He's this been is just like me. Cam Newton. 
Yeah, he's been dead to me for like two years. But I just wanted to hear your opinion on it because well some people are getting be. hyped up about him. He burned you in one of our in Ugh. just like I think a couple years into our league, one of your your first rookie pick at the what one hundred three overall. I had the one hundred two and the one hundred three, no, and I took you the had the three sh- and four. Guys. You had the three, three and four, four. because yeah. uh, <laughs> yes, I remember it was Saquon went one, number two was DJ Moore, the key, and the then you had back to back. No, Harry was the following year. Oh, okay. And then yeah, yeah, three yeah, and yeah. four were on you. And yeah, you picked and Darius got... Geis and Rashad Penn. Ugh. Jesus, man. I was right behind you. I traded into the 105 that year, and I was actually going to take Rashad Penny if you didn't. I ended up taking another bust in Ronald Jones at the 105. He never played a snap for me. I played off the preseason hype, and I peddled him into, I think, a first and changed the following year. So definitely gonna backtrack that into my own win somehow the fact that i drafted ronald jones turns into a win for me what a terrible draft class Jesus. it seemed that way there were some guys who went late because obviously you had the quarterbacks lamar jackson josh allen were both in that class uh, mm-hmm. to a lesser extent baker Mayfield. uh there were some wide receivers i remember they were going in like the second round you had dallas goddard in that class he was solid i think mark if Andrews. it wasn't if it like wasn't super flex you needed a lot of luck to hit yeah. on somebody in that class. Was yeah. uh Nick Chubb was in that class, wasn't he? Nick Chubb was. He went, I think, one oh six, the pick after. So even yeah. even as much as I won with trading away Ronald Jones for a first and change, the fact that I passed out or passed up on four plus years of Nick Chubb dominance, that's, that's I have to take that L, I think. Yeah, he was like a top five back for those three years. Absolutely. But uh like like most running backs, they fade so quick and uh yeah. You're almost always better off selling them when they show a little bit of anything uh, after they've let you down quite a few times. So Rashad Penny is just another one in a long list of disappointing running backs. Speaking of fading quickly, let's fade into our Twitter handle. Make sure you hit us up at FFlexecution, F-F-L-E-X-E-C-U-T-I-O-N. Follow me on Twitter at FFMasterDebater. If you want all the latest breaking news, we don't put nonsense out there. All we do is collect the news and we retweet it out to y'all. So if you want that breaking news without those advertisements that you get from a lot of those sites, follow us at FFlexecution. Yep, talk to you guys next week. Peace.